Folks, we have filled up the overflow room. There are folks sitting in the hallway. We are just completely uh, filled up today. So if there is a seat around you, can we just all, we're the family of God here, let's just get up in each other's business a um, little bit here and just scoot in. Let's make sure there's not a chair that is open around you. Um, and if some of you can go to the roof, we would also appreciate it. Okay, don't do that. But we are totally full and we need more spots. Praise God for that. If you have a Bible, if you'd please turn to the book of Romans. There's also a Bible in front of you. If you have a row of chairs in front of you, you should see a Bible uh, and the seat bombs in front of you. We are going to look at Romans 12, biblical resolutions as we think about a new year. And I'm going to be reading from verses 9 to 21 of Romans chapter 12. This is the word of God. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Gracious God, we want to be the kind of people that your servant Paul described in this passage. People who love, people who serve, people who do not desire revenge. We cannot do this on our own. In our own strength, we want revenge. We want to step on people to move up. We want to be selfish. We don't want to think about others. So we need your grace to transform our lives. And we cry out to you this morning that the good news of Jesus, that the power of your word would permeate all of our lives and change us. Lord, we pray that this coming year would be a year where not only do we move one step closer to being with you, but we move many steps closer to being like your son, our Lord, the Lord 
Jesus Christ. And so I pray, O God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I've been instructed I need to move over a few feet. Um, So now everyone in the overflow room can see me. Um, The Christian life. How would you describe the Christian life? If someone were to come up to you, seems like a a basic enough question, right? And and were to say to you, um, so tell me, what does a Christian life look like? Um, Just take a moment now and think about what your answer to that question would be. Um, I'm imagining that we would all start with something like, well, the Christian life means you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Okay, absolutely, amen. But what else would you say about the Christian life? How would you describe the shape of the Christian life? What does it look like? What does it look like to to grow to be more like Jesus, as as I've said a number of times in our prayers? Well, that's what Paul gives us a, a picture of as we come to Romans 12. If you know the book of Romans, and I hope you know the book of Romans because it is a treasure trove of, of beauty and wisdom and theology about God, there is uh, three great therefore statements in the book of Romans. You know, Paul says this therefore, and, and it gets our attention. We see it in uh, Romans chapter five. Paul says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans 5.1. In Romans 8, we see Paul say this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 12, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. These great therefore statements. In other words, in light of what I have just said about who Jesus is, about who we are, about his grace, what should our lives look like? You know, all of us, we, we think about these things. It's a new year, right? So we take stock. We think, okay, uh, in, in 2017, I'm going uh, you know, to hit the gym this many times. I'm going to read this many books um, or you know, whatever, whatever your goals are. And we think about these things. We think about the shape of our body. We think about, hey, how am I doing physically? Some of us, we, we maybe take a moment to think about our career. Hey, how am I doing in my job? Am I where I want to be? Am I reaching my goals? Think about your house. Hey, uh, I'd love to maybe do um, you know, this renovation to my home this year or something like that. Here's the question that God has put before us this morning. What kind of shape is your walk with God in? Think about the shape of your body, shape of your career, shape of your house. What kind of shape is your walk with God in? Today, this morning, we're going to look at biblical resolutions. Paul describes what the life of a Christian should look like. And really three things uh, Paul tells us a Christian should look like. A Christian is a person who loves. Three points. And they really, it really fits. I know they all start with L's, but it fits. All right. A Christian is a person who loves. A, a, a Christian is a person who loves not according to what we say love is or what uh, the top 40 says what love is or whatever, but a Christian is a person who loves according to how the Bible describes love, and we're going to look at that in a text. A Christian is a person 
who lives an authentic life in the body of Christ? So that's a question for us all to ask. Are you living an authentic life in the body of Christ? We'll talk about later what does that mean. But a Christian is a person who loves, according to the Bible. A Christian is a person who lives an authentic life in the body of Christ. And a, pers- and a Christian is a person who leaves our grievances and hurts in the hands of God. Okay? I'm imagining in a room of this size, I'm sure there are a lot of grievances and hurts that all of us have. And there is this huge temptation in life to want to take revenge, to get even. Um, you know, don't get mad, but get even. And... God says directly to us, his people, he says, don't do that in this passage. I'm calling you to be different. I'm calling you to leave, okay? I'm calling you to be people who leave our grievances and our hurts in the hands of God. First of all, a Christian is a person who loves. There's a lot of descriptions here. And as we think about this passage, um, it it can kind of seem like Paul's kind of all over the place as he's describing these different things. But really, Paul is giving us a, a comprehensive overview of what the Christian life is. So listen to this description of love. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Don't lack in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let me just say five things about this description of love for all of us to think about. First of all, biblical love, right? Not top 40 love or whatever, how we define love, but biblical love means that love is real, okay? Love must be sincere. Uh, notice Paul's logic. He's assuming that, that love is already present. He's assuming that Christians are saying, I'm loving, I'm loving my brothers and sisters, I'm, I love one another. Paul says, okay, but is your love sincere? Is it real? Here's a, here's a way we could think about it, church. Are we, are we wearing a mask? Are we hiding from each other? Who, who we really are? What's really going on in our lives? Um, when, when we see somebody at church, do we, do we really have care for them? Do we really want to know what's going on in their lives? And of course, we're not going to be close with everybody, at, especially at a church of this size, but we should have some people we're close with. We should have some people that we, we're really checking in on. We're there for them. They're there for us. Paul says, your love sh- should be sincere. You say, you know what? I'm not sure my love is sincere. I come here, but I don't know. Paul says, take off the mask. Be a real person. Be honest. Be real. Secondly, Paul says that we are to hate what is evil. Love is pure. Okay, turn from evil. Uh, this, this isn't popular to say this today, but Paul's words are simply repent. If you're trapped in a, an addiction, if, if you have a, a sin that you love, and of course, how it is with sin, right? sin loves to hide, so usually our sins are hidden. Sometimes they're hidden from ev- pretty much everybody. Maybe nobody else knows. Paul's words are simple. Repent. Hate what is evil. If there is something evil in your life or my life, let's get rid of it. Let's forsake it. Let's turn away from it. Let's repent because that's what biblical love is. Biblical love is not 93% of my life is for you, Jesus, but I've got this stuff over here that goodness, if anybody found out about that, but rather biblical love is 
I want to be pure inside and out. I want to turn from evil. Biblical love is, is committed. It says, be devoted to one another in love. God calls us to be people who, who are committed to one another. And of course, um, so much of the world we live in now is consumerist and, and says change our loyalties or, and, and you, know, you, can, you can change things in your life so quickly. God says be committed. Be committed to Grace Redeemer Church. Be committed to God. Be committed to one another. Maybe one of the things that God is saying to you this year is, you know, I need to be involved in this church in a way that I haven't in previous years. I need to step up and commit, maybe in membership, maybe in service, but I'm going to commit because biblical love is not a hands-off love. It's a committed love. Don't run. Biblical love is, is zealous. Here's a question for all of us. Do we have zeal for God? Are, are we passionate about the things of God? And of course, none of us feel that way at all times, but we should want to be passionate. And if you never feel passion for God, then say, Lord, give me a passion for you. I want to I love you. I don't want to just read your word because I'm supposed to read your word. I don't want to just pray because I'm supposed to pray. I want to love these things. I don't want to just witness because I'm supposed to witness. I want to look at somebody and say, that's somebody I can tell about Jesus and the gospel. Lord, give me a passion for you. That's what biblical love is. It's not, it's not just a, you know, emotionless or simply waiting on emotions, but it's, it's a passion that's rooted in knowing God. So if we need our passion, we have to pursue God. Love is zealous. Finally, love is generous. Give cheerfully. We know the Bible says this. God loves a, a cheerful giver. 2017, a year to, to be generous. A year to know that everything that we have, it's all, it's all God's anyway. So we can give back kindly. Love shares, love prays, love practices hospitality. This is the character of what love looks like according to the Bible. This should be our resolution this year. Lord, help me to have this kind of character in my life. Well, love, uh, we are called to be people who ha- live lives of love. We're also called to be people who live in authentic community. And I came across an article in CNN. Uh, here's the title of the article. The rise of romance gaming is the perfect boyfriend inside your phone. Okay? Um, this is from CNN. Romance gaming is a $130 million industry in Japan. It's not just in Japan. It's all over the world, but uh, I guess Japan is kind of an epicenter for it. Let me read a little bit of this article. When Ayumi Sato was 22, she broke up with her boyfriend, but the Tokyo resident found an easy way to fill the void left by her ex-lover's departure. She downloaded a romance gaming app onto her phone and became one of the millions of women in Japan to swap real-life intimacy for a fantasy. It doesn't matter what your type of male would be, you'll find a man that you'll really like in these games, says a professor of comparative culture at Sophia University in Tokyo. And of course, that male is going to be perfect, the perfect boyfriend. Welcome to 2017, right? (laughs) We now um, can find the perfect person through a romance game app on our phones. And of course, um, all of us, it's not just Japan, we can all see the appeal of this, right? 
Because when you find the perfect person for yourself on a romance game app, they're not going to argue with you, right? They're going to only praise you all the time. Anytime you need a pick-me-up, just say, oh, great. They say I look good today. They like my outfit. Um, I don't know how it works. But, um, <laughs> right? I mean, as a romance game app, work on your phone. But they're just going to lavish praise and you're going to feel good. And it's just you and that perfect boyfriend. Of course, just much of a temptation, I'm sure, for some guys, a perfect girlfriend. But Christians are called to be people who live lives of authenticity in the body of Christ. You see, real relationships, we all know this, are messier, costlier, and require more work than virtual relationships. You know, listen, listen to the scriptures. Paul says this, bless those who persecute you. Okay, got to know somebody to bless them. Bless and do not curse. That's what the world does, right? Just forget you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You got to know people to rejoice with them. Mourn with those who mourn. You can't cry with somebody if you're not in relationship with them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is the great challenge, not just of 2017, but this is going to be the great challenge of probably the next generation because um, the technology is only getting better and better and better and more entertaining and more engrossing for all of us. But God says to us, of course, we don't live lives that say we reject technology, but God says run toward relationship. Don't run away. Be in relationship. Be in relationship with the church. Know one another. Rejoice with each other. Mourn with each other. You know, oftentimes you hear in the church, you hear a statement like, um, you know, we're called to witness with our lives and not just with our words. And I would amen that. Our words as, as well, of course. But how do we do that? How do we witness with our lives? And, you know, first of all, we're called to do everything for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So we're called to be people who, whatever we're doing, our work, our play, our marriage, our parenting, everything for the glory of God. But here's a beautiful picture that Paul gives us of people who are striving to live lives that promote the public good, okay? Lives that promote the public good. We strive to live at peace with, uh, peace and harmony with one another to bless and to not curse. And that's a literal statement, by the way, for some of us maybe need to hear that. Bless and do not curse. Whether you're driving your car, right? I mean, that's honestly one of the things that came to my mind. Okay, true confessions. And um, whether you're driving your car in the roads of of Jersey or or in in Manhattan or whether um, you're parenting, we're called to live lives that are pleasing to God lives that promote the public good, lives where we are an example to other, lives where we can live such good lives among the pagans, you guys know the rest of the verse, that, that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. And lives where we reject, church, we've got to do this now, we reject a retreat into a virtual existence. We reject that. We reject the temptation that is hitting Everybody in the world right now, so much of saying, you know what, it's just so much easier to pick up this device and be here and not be here with each other 
in relationship. This, there, there's a move. Again, I'm not anti-technology, but there's a move. What is, what is happening is a move toward isolation. And we can see this all over. You know, there's, there's um, less civic engagement and, and just um, than there used to be in our culture. And we've got to push against this, folks. And we've got to be people who are saying um, we're involved in relationships. And whether that's knowing the teachers at the schools where our kids go to or knowing our neighbors or knowing the kids, uh, the parents on the softball team, and knowing our coworkers, we're called to be people who are living lives in authentic community, community who aren't just... Um, who aren't just retreating into technology. Well, let me end with this. We're also called to be people who leave. And this is something we need to hear. The Bible's very direct on this. The Bible tells us to not seek revenge. Okay? Now, our society, our culture says, get revenge. Take revenge. If it is legal, maybe if it's not legal, maybe even it's not legal, an eye for an eye, um, revenge is sweet, don't get mad, get even. That's the way that we see everybody else playing the game around us. And there is this incredible temptation for everybody, including Christians, to live lives of just trying to step on other people, trying to get even trying to give payback. Listen to this quote by Dr. Edward Hollowell. He says this, you could write the whole history of the world in terms of the history of revenge. This basic human drive to get even has driven much of the destruction we have seen over the centuries. It's there for all of us, right? Cain and Abel, I mean, for, him, for them it was just, I'm, I'm angry, I'm upset with you. But this desire um, to move toward anger and revenge is there for all of us. And here's what God calls us to do. In the power of his spirit, he says this, I want you to leave. Paul quotes from the Old Testament here. I want you to leave these things, these hurts, these grievances with God and trust him even when you have been legitimately wronged. Well, what is this What is this? take from us. It requires a letting go, okay? And, and letting go requires faith, all right? Sometimes we, we think about faith and maybe the word feels like it's up here and it feels abstract. Let me give you a very concrete way to exercise faith in your life. Someone wrongs you. Something happens at your school or at your workplace or in, and, and your immediate desire is to go toward revenge or getting even and faith says, I'm not gonna retaliate. I'm not, even if I can, even if it's within my ability to get even and make this person suffer, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to take a step of faith and trust God that he is sovereign, that he is going to take care of me, and that ultimately on the last day, justice will be served. Letting go requires faith. It requires committing our grievances and our hurts and our pains to God. It requires loss. And this is the sense in which it requires loss. Whenever... Um, you know this, right? Whenever sin happens, there's, there's a real pain, there's a real loss that occurs. So someone insults you, someone breaks off a relationship, there's estrangement, someone stabs you in the back, there's loss there. And our desire is to say, okay, you've hurt me, now I'm gonna hurt you. But we let go and we say, Lord, I'm committing this to you. I am 
committing this loss to you and I'm committing this pain to you. I give it over to you. I don't want to operate just like everybody around me. Instead, I want to model forgiveness. I want to be somebody who can surprise the person who's hurt me and say, you know what? I really want to get back at you, but by the power of Jesus, I'm not going to. I forgive you. This is what we need to realize. Our ability to distinguish between justice and revenge is very difficult. Okay? We may think that we are simply um, going for justice. And really in our hearts, we're going for revenge. Don't hear what I'm, what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we don't follow you know, the legal recourses if someone's hurt us. And I'm also not saying that forgiving a person means you trust them again. Trust has to be re-earned. But I am saying that God wants all of us to forgive and to let go of the pain and the bitterness that we feel. And to say, if I'm slandered, someone slanders you, you can say, I'm still God's child, and that's what really matters. If, if someone accuses you of something that you didn't do, you can say, I'm still pure in God's eyes. That's what truly matters. And I'm going to leave this thing in God's hands. Let me end with this, these thoughts about leaving Revenge and bitterness hold us prisoner. Do you know that? Do you know that if you are somebody who feeds off anger and bitterness and a desire to get back, and maybe you do get back, and maybe you're really good at that, you're a prisoner. Satan has you exactly where he wants you. The Bible says this about Satan. He's a murderer. He's the father of lies. He lives only to steal and kill and to destroy from the book of John. You're exactly where Satan wants you. If you are holding on to pain and to anger, anger will keep you going, but it will destroy you at the same time. You know that, right? Yeah, you can, you can do a lot with anger as your fuel, but like a drug, it will destroy you. There's a saying, I've heard this many times, I don't know where it comes from, but this is the saying, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's what you're doing. And how do we let go of our grievances if we don't know that God is ultimately just? But God says to us, leave room for my wrath, for my justice. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God says to forgive. He says to trust. He says to let go. And just remember this. Every second that you and I waste on revenge or anger or bitterness is a second that we have lost that we could be using to advance God's kingdom. So let it go and lay it at his feet. And I'm not saying it's not hard and you don't have a lot of pain in your life, but let it go and forgive and commit your life to God. Well, a few final points of application. Uh, This quote is in your bulletin. I wanted to put it there as well as put it on the screen. This is one of those quotes that, you know, it's like the everlasting gobstopper. You need to work on it for a long time. It's by Dallas Willard. He says this, the main thing that God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish, 
It's the person you become. The main thing that God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish. It's the person you become. What kind of person are you becoming? What's happening in your character? What's happening in your life? That's the question that God puts before us as we start a new year. And parents, and this is an arrow right at myself as well, parents, because I'm a parent too. But parents, let me ask all of us this. Parents, the main thing we should focus on with our kids is not their accomplishments. It's the people they are becoming. And then as parents, we think about, well, what role do I have to play in that? Okay, that's the most important thing. Not what is my child accomplishing, but what kind of person is my child becoming? As the Holy Spirit is working in them, we pray, we trust, and as a parent, as we're called to disciple them and point them to to the Savior. You know, sometimes, um, you know, all of you parents, you can relate to this. You know, you're out with young kids and somebody stops you and they say, you know, just enjoy these moments, you know, because they're going to be gone so quickly, you know, and usually as a parent, it feels like that's the exact moment my kid's like dumped out a bag of rice or something at the store. And I'm like, really? Um, Doesn't feel like that right now. But you know what? You look back on your life. And you think, yeah, you know, like the last 10 years have flown by. Or, um, yeah, it's pretty amazing that my kids are growing up now. Or, um, you know, you just think about how fast time does move. And as we think about our lives, we need to ask, what kind of people are we becoming? We need to be okay with this phrase, spirit-empowered effort. Okay, sometimes maybe we're afraid of the word effort because it sounds man-centered, but spirit-empowered effort to become more like Jesus. That's what we're aiming for. I want to end with a quote from one of my favorite pastors, a, Scot- a Scotsman named Robert Murray McShane, who said this, live for eternity, a few days more and our journey is done. Do you know that? A few days more. I know it doesn't feel like that. Maybe it does for some of you. But for most of us, it doesn't feel like that, at least most of the time. Most of the time, we don't even think about it. The Bible says, though, our life is a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. So let's live every moment for God. Let's be people who love according to the scriptures, according to the Bible. Let's be people who live our lives in authentic community in the body of Christ right here. Let's be people who leave our grievances with God. And by the power of the Spirit, let's be people who become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you this day. Change our lives. Shape our character. Make us like your son. We pray it in your name. Amen.